Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Okay, now if you were here last week, we're going to do a little review, all right? If you weren't here, you're not accountable for this, okay? But here's the deal. We started to learn a verse together, and I want to see if anybody remembers it. No looking at your outline, no cheating, okay? No looking at the bullet. It's not going to be up on the screen here. I'll get it started, and we'll see how we do, okay? It starts like this. The prudent see what? Danger. Okay, that was, all right, well... Together, all together, the prudent see danger. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Okay. I used to say that to my kids, and my kids were like, who's Will Robinson? Come on, how many of you know who Will Robinson is? Okay, thank you. Anyway, I digress. All right. The prudent see danger. Come on, let's say it together. The prudent see danger and take refuge. All right, we got, we got one. That's good. Uh, 300. Uh, no. All right. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. All right, here we go. The whole thing. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. All right, so we're in the middle of this series called Begin with the End in Mind. And it's really all about knowing where you want to end up in life and then choosing the right path to get you there. And we've been talking about this principle that is sometimes called the principle of the path. It goes like this. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. And I think we know that, right, when it comes to the world of driving. We know that in the world of hiking. But somehow, when it comes to the rest of our lives, maybe our dating lives, financial lives, marriage lives, parenting, our moral choices, educational pursuits, when it comes to all these other areas of life, there's often a huge disconnect with this very same principle that somehow we desire to end up here, but we get on a path that is taking us there. And when we get there, we go, God, what's wrong? Okay, nothing's wrong. It's the principle of the path, that every path has a destination. And direction, not intention, determines your destination. Now, last week, I gave you a little prayer that's built on this verse we're memorizing, and it goes like this. Heavenly Father, help me to see trouble coming long before it gets here, And then grant me the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. So God, when I am on the wrong path, I want to recognize it early and change course. Now, the problem with this whole principle is the fact that the decisions you make today, they have ramifications later, don't they? So it's not simple. It's not like yesterday I prepared the presentation, today I delivered the presentation, and now it's all done. That's easy. Or on Tuesday, I studied for the exam. On Wednesday, I took the exam. Now it's over. That's simple. The problem is the path you choose in your 20s has an impact on what happens to you in your 30s. Or for instance, the financial path that you choose early on in your marriage impacts what happens financially later on in your marriage. The path you choose in raising your kids early on, you don't know what kind of path that was until they're teenagers, whether or not you did a good job. Unfortunately, we don't know the outcomes of so many decisions that we make until it's too late to do anything about it. And in some cases, we're glad. In some cases, we're disappointed. But in all cases, we can never go back and recapture those years. 
We can never go back and remake those decisions. So it's crucial to choose the right paths up front, isn't it? And yet we don't have all the information, right? We don't know the future. But direction determines destination. So what do you do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, it would seem that even if you took God and Jesus and the Bible out of the equation for just a minute, all right, if somebody would just create a database of every decision ever made, let's just say over the last 150 years, somebody sits down and creates this database of every decision and the outcomes. Wouldn't that be great? Because then you could sit down with them and say, okay, here are my options. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. And they could plug it all into the computer and say, well, 18,000 people did this, and here's what happened. 52,000 people did this, and here's what happened. And then you could kind of walk away from there with a plan knowing that, well, my chances are best if I do this. That if I go down path B, there's a greater chance it will result in this happening. And then we could just kind of run our lives that way, right? If we just knew the direction that certain paths were going to take us or the outcome of certain decisions that we were going to make, on paper, that would seem like a great approach, wouldn't it? I think the problem is, though, that we wouldn't really take the advice. I mean, let me ask you a quick question, okay? Let's just be transparent for a second because we're friends here, all right? How many of you know someone who is very, very smart, who has made some very, very stupid decisions, or at least one? Would you raise your hand? Keep them up high, all right? Raise them up. Keep those hands up. Keep them up, all right? For how many of you that person is you? <clears throat> yeah, my stupid decisions were not because of a lack of information. I mean, there are times when you find yourself 10 years down the road, you go, oh, boy, I wish somebody had told me that. I mean, that, that happens. You're 5, 10, 15 years into a marriage. It's a train wreck, and someone comes along and says, well, you know, if you had only done A, B, and C, and you're like, oh, I wish somebody had told me that. That happens. But for the most part, we crash and burn on the paths that we choose, not because of a lack of information. I mean, think about this. Many of you have spent good money to sit down and talk with a financial planner, right? And that financial planner, he spent all sorts of time with you. At the end of it all, he gave you a little booklet and said, here is your financial plan. And you thanked him for it. You paid him for it. And then you stuck it in a drawer somewhere, right? You don't even know where that is, do you? And you never get it out and review it and say, honey, let's make sure that we're on our plan. You got the info, but yeah, you ignore it. I mean, how many times have you been to the doctor and the doctor said to you, okay, here's what you got to do. And you nod your head like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your wife's taking notes. You're like, I'm really going to do it. And a week later, you're on vacation. You're like, nah, forget that, right? And you go back to your old diet, right? You quit exercising. You got all this cool equipment and clothing, but it's like, nah, whatever. But every time you make a reservation for a hotel, you make sure to ask, do you have a fitness center, right? We sure do. You never use it, but boy, do you make sure that that hotel has a fitness center. Why? Because your problem and my problem, it's not a lack of information. If there was a computer out there somewhere that could spit out the predictability factors for certain decisions, that's no guarantee that you nor I would choose the paths that lead to the outcomes we want in life. Because it's not about information. Now today, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that wrestles with this tension. And what makes this passage so relevant is who wrote it. It was written by King Solomon, the third king of Israel, King David's son, okay? And King Solomon has a rather unique perspective of what we're talking about here because of who he was. If you don't know, Solomon wrote three books in the Bible, <laughs> Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. 
The first book, the book of Proverbs, contains some very practical advice for everyday living. I mean, you can read this at any stage of life. In fact, even an unbeliever can pick it up and glean truth for everyday living. Second book that Solomon wrote was called Ecclesiastes. And I think that's one of those books that you shouldn't read until after you're 40 years old, okay? If you read it before you're 40, you're going to go, boy, this guy was such a pessimist. I mean, this book is so depressing. Why is it even in the Bible? And then after 40, you're like, that's exactly how I feel, you know? I've thought that all along. That's right. <laughs> and then the third book that Solomon wrote is called The Song of Solomon. And you really shouldn't read that until after you're married. <laughs> or if you think the Bible's really boring, you can pick it up and go, ooh, right? Song of Solomon, it talks about sexual intimacy in marriage. Okay? And rumor has it in ancient times that teenagers would creep into the temple at night and turn to the Song of Solomon. Right? That's the rumor, at least. My point is this, Solomon had unbelievable wisdom in all these arenas, science, mathematics, business, marriage. His insight was incredible. And the reason that was so is because Solomon became king at a young age, maybe 18, 20 years old, something like that. His dad dies, and all of a sudden, he is thrust as a young man into this role as the king of this huge nation. Plus, Solomon had the responsibility on his shoulders to build a temple for the Lord. And so one night, God communicates to Solomon in a dream. He says, Solomon, because I loved your father, I love you. And because I made a promise to your father, I want to make a promise to you as well. And this is what Solomon says. Get this. Imagine this. Ask me for whatever you'd like. Just make a request. Wow, you talk about open-ended. <laughs> you want long life? I'll give you long life. You want lots of money? I will give you a ton of money. You want me to kill all your enemies? I'll do that. Hey, wouldn't that be interesting, right? Hey, honey, wake up, right? Got this deal here. God just asked me who, right? Let's make a short list. Seriously, though, back in that day, that's what kings did when they became king. Did you know that? The first thing they would do is they would go out and immediately wipe out anybody they thought would be a threat to the kingdom. It's pretty common. So God says to Solomon, just tell me what you want, and I'll do it. And I want you to listen to what Solomon says to God in 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? It's God, I am so young. Man, I am so overwhelmed by the burden of ruling this nation. I need knowledge in areas where I've had no education. I need wisdom, big time. And listen to God's response in verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administrating justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart and catch this, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Wow. So God made Solomon the wisest person who ever lived. And if you doubt that, 
or if you question the Bible, I would encourage you to go and read Solomon's writings. And as you read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and you are overwhelmed by the relevance of it to your life today, you're going to at least have to go, wow, maybe there's something to this. That's a whole lot of wisdom coming from some guy thousands of years ago. And so Solomon, he begins to write and teach and administrate, demonstrating his wisdom. And the reason that's relevant to our discussion is this. If ever there was a person who could have said, God, thanks for the information and common sense. I am loaded down now with knowledge and insight. If ever there was a person in this world who could have gone out and said, you know what? I can lean on my own wisdom to make decisions. It would have been Solomon. But when Solomon begins to address this question of how do we choose the right paths to take in life, when he begins to answer that question, he doesn't say, you know, I'll tell you what I do. I lean on this vast wisdom and experience from God. I kind of go it on my own. And if you want to make good decisions, you just need more information, more understanding. You just need to read my books. Now, in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7, Solomon gives us his surprising answer to the question, how do we choose the right paths in life? And here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In every arena of life, in every possible path, trust, that is lean hard into what? Not information, not insight, not even the wisdom that comes from God. Lean hard into God himself. Because the answer to life, it's not information, it's not insight, it's the person of God who has commanded us to trust, to lean hard into him. Now, again, if anyone could have bypassed this, it would have been Solomon. If anyone could have said, hey, I don't need to lean hard into God. I already had that conversation. I got all the info I need. He doesn't say that. He says, look, I'm telling you, it begins every day, and it's not a one-time thing. You have to keep deciding to trust in him. You have to keep inviting him into every decision of your day. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then here's the flip side. And lean not on your own understanding. Hebrew phrase lean there literally means to prop something up against something else. Solomon's saying your tendency and my tendency is going to be to make decisions based on how we see the world, based on what we have experienced. Here's how this happens, okay? We get into conversations and men, we're the worst at this, right? We go, well, you know what? Here's the way I see it. You know, the way I've always handled that, and, you know, the way I deal with this situation. I mean, we get into conversation, we don't even listen. We just wait for the other person to stop talking, right? So we can kind of chime in and say, you know, I had that happen once, and here's what I did, what I did, what I did. Right? Here's how I, I, I. I mean, my tendency, my knee-jerk reaction is to lean on my own experience, my own knowledge, the books that I've read, to lean on my own understanding. Now, hear me on this. That is not to say that you shouldn't be wiser this year than you were last year based on life experience. It's not to say that you shouldn't gain knowledge from books you've read or people you've spent time with. Of course, there's that part of it. But Solomon is sort of slicing this pretty thin here. He's saying, even with all you know, even with all your life experience, don't make the mistake when it comes to choosing the right paths in life of thinking, I'm old enough. I am wise enough. I am slick enough. I am careful enough to lean on my own understanding. We all do that. Oh yeah, I, I can handle this. I, I can handle this with, with the kids. I mean, I was a kid once, so I know how to parent, right? Excuse me? Yeah, 
I was a kid once, so I know how to parent. Is that kind of like I had a surgery once, so now I know how to perform surgery? Sort of the same thing. I got this. I'm the man. I'm in charge. I own my own business, you know, back in our other corporation. I mean, every single day of my life, I am tempted to trust in my own judgment. But the wisest man who ever lived said, look, if you want to end up on the right path in life, if you want direction from God, direction doesn't begin with the search for direction. Direction begins with submission. Get this, big principle. Submission precedes direction. You begin by trusting in the Lord with all your heart, which means, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances, even though I don't fully understand all that you have to say about finances. Or God, I am going to trust you with my marriage, even though I don't fully understand all that you have to say about marriage. And next, Solomon repeats himself for emphasis. He says, in all your ways, in all of your ways. Think about that. Your dating ways, your marriage ways, your financial ways, your moral ways, your entertainment ways, in all of your ways. Not just in your Sunday ways. Not just in your religious ways. Not in your, I'm going to try to get some good luck from God because I did this and I prayed this and I offered this. No, in all of your ways. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the promise. And he will make your paths straight. Or you can add a word there. And then he will make your path straight. As a result, he will make your path straight. At the end of the process, he will make your path straight. And that little Hebrew phrase there, he will make your path straight, it literally means he will make your paths clear. He will make your paths simple. Basically, you will know which paths to take. Submission precedes direction. You know, every once in a while, I'll sit down with someone who's made some poor decision, and now they have like two or three options, and they're all bad. You know, all of a sudden, there's a mess in their marriage or with one of their kids or in their finances, and they say, you know, I'm trying to decide what to do. I mean, what do I do, Brian? And oftentimes, I'm like, man, I don't know what to tell you to do. But I know what you should have done like eight miles back before you got here. I, mean, I know what you should have done four years ago. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, duh. And of course, everybody knows what you should have done four years ago. Hindsight's 2020. Exactly. Looking back, it's clear, which is why God, who knows the future, says to you and to me, would you please, please let me work with you? <laughs> to keep you out of these situations where you have three options and they're all bad, where the eggs are so scrambled you can't unscramble them, you just have to start over. Before you have to come to me and say, oh God, what do I do now? Would you be willing on the front side to acknowledge me so I can make your paths straight, clear? We don't need more, we need more submission. And then Solomon, he closes with this command. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's so good. God's like, you know, I know you've been doing this for 20 years. I know you're a professional. I know you've had three children of your own. I know you have wisdom and experience. I know you've read the books. I know you've been to that seminar. Hey, that's great. But don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that that's enough because it's not. And here's something really, really interesting. If you know the rest of Solomon's story, this is a bit mind-boggling. Even with all that wisdom, 
and all that knowledge and all that experience, there was one area of Solomon's life where he decided, you know what? I'm gonna lean on my own wisdom and experience. Instead of trusting God to defend the nation of Israel, he decided that he would marry the daughters of foreign kings and emperors to have an alliance because that's what you did in those days. And in his way of seeing it, it made perfect sense. It was the best way to protect the nation of Israel. But he disobeyed God in doing that. God clearly forbid that in his word. And Solomon, he didn't lack information or wisdom. But for some reason, in that one area of his life, he decided to lean on his own understanding. And it wrecked his legacy. It divided his family. Ultimately, it divided the kingdom. The moral of the story, information, wisdom, experience, it's not enough. We need God. So let me give you two quick thoughts as we wrap this up. I want you to write these down. Pride overrides wisdom and self-importance overrides discernment. Pride overrides wisdom and self-importance overrides discernment. Let's talk about this first one. Pride overrides wisdom. That's why very smart people can make very stupid decisions. It's why you look back at decisions you've made and go, what was I thinking? I mean, I knew better. It's because pride says, God, thanks for the opportunity, but see ya. I mean, I, I, I really don't need to depend on you. I'm a, I'm a pro. I've read the books. In fact, I wrote the book on this. I do seminars on this. You can go help, just help someone else in this area. Pride overrides wisdom. And second, self-importance overrides discernment. When we start focusing on how capable we are, it clouds our perspective. It overrides discernment. And again, the issue is not a lack of information. It's a lack of dependence. It's a lack of humility. So here's my question, and then we'll close. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've really acknowledged God in all your ways? And let me split this out, because here's what we can do. Sometimes we only give over to God those areas of our life where we feel like we have no control anyway. Right? So for instance, if you're a parent, you might say, God, would you please protect my children? Protect my children. God's going, okay, why do you want me to protect your children? And if we were honest, it would be because, well, because I really can't control whether they're protected or not. So it's really just, God, I want to entrust into your care something over which I have no control anyway. God's going, thank you. I'm so honored. Right? We do that all the time. That's not what this is about. This is about, God, I'm pretty smart in this area, but I realize it's not enough. God, I have 20 years of experience in this. I'm a pro. You know, I do seminars. People come to me for advice in this arena. But I'm going to submit to you as if I knew nothing because I know that when I start leaning on my own judgment, I have the potential to make stupid, stupid decisions. So the question is this. Taking out of the mix all those areas over which you have no control anyway, have you ever surrendered the areas where you think you do have control? I think this is where Christianity gets real, gets practical. It's where there might be some tension going on inside of you. You go to bed at night thinking, oh, I can't believe I did that. But God, I know it's what you wanted me to do. I feel like I'm in a free fall here. I, I'm, I don't know. But I'm excited about what you're going to do, God, because it's totally now out of my control. Have you acknowledged them in your marriage, with your finances, in, in your profession? Because if you don't, you keep leaning on your own understanding, you're going to end up on a path that leads you somewhere you don't want to be. And your heavenly father, he won't be angry. He'll be brokenhearted. 
And yes, he will meet you there on that day when you have three options and they're all bad. But he sure would have wished you had made a decision now to avoid that day by simply saying, God, I acknowledge you in all my ways, where I'm a professional and where I know nothing, where people think I'm wise and where I know I'm a fool. I acknowledge you. So would you be willing to take some time, say today, this week, to answer the question, why am I afraid to acknowledge God in those areas where I think I have control? Why do I only acknowledge him in areas where I feel like I have no control? Would you try to figure that out? I'm not even asking you to make a decision to do anything. But figuring out the answer to that question may be the first step in coming to a place where you say, hmm, wisdom, knowledge, insight, it's not enough. I need to surrender to him. Because submission always precedes direction. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he, for you personally, he will make your paths straight. He'll make your paths clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these incredibly wise words. Some of us here in this room, (laughs) we've heard them hundreds, thousands of times. They're still challenging. So would you give us all the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard and the courage to do it? Father, I pray for every man in here because of our pride and our sense of we can do it, we're professionals. Starting with me, would you just give us a renewed passion to wake up every morning and say, knowledge, wisdom, experience, it's not enough. I need you, God. And Father, for for every lady, for every girl here today who who listens to our culture maybe, for whom it's all about what everybody else is doing, moves and makes decisions with the culture, would you give her the courage to open up her hands and say, God, I need you in this area. It's not enough to be smart. It's not enough to know what everybody else is doing. Father, I pray that we would lean not on our own understanding, but in every single one of our ways, that we would be a people who acknowledge you. And that we would then have the joy of experiencing you directing our paths in life. That's our heart's desire, Lord. And we sure need you to bring us to the point where that's a reality. It's in Jesus' name we pray.